Welcome to the Widow's Walk with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you've experienced the loss of someone close to you, Dr. Connie and her guests will share guidance, love, and support to help keep you moving. Now, here is Dr. Connie. Welcome to Dr. Connie, the Widow's Walk. This is the show that I love the most because I think it really helps a lot of suffering out there among our friends and loved ones. And this episode, I call it the shining light. And the reason for that, I think of my journey as a widow, which will be four years next month on July 1st. It's hard to believe. But the the widow's journey is of grief, and it's also of healing. And you share it with others around you, with, with family members, with friends, and friends who you meet along the path who become your deep friends. But I also feel that we share it with parents who have lost their child. And, or maybe they, they correct me, so we never lose our children. They transition. You learn a new language when you look at how people envision what happens and believe what happens to their loved ones when they physically die. So although the death of a child or adolescent is, is so painful, we think of, well, I see a lot of more people now who've experienced it. Uh, it is devastating. And I think of the suffering that I have gone through and that of my friends losing their husbands. But I can only imagine the, the pain and the grief of losing your child, somebody you bring into this world. When you look at statistics, the death of a child or an adolescent in the United States accounts for less than 2% of all deaths. And I think that number will probably be modified because of the rise in suicide and illness from COVID and all the things in the last three years. So I anticipate that number will go to 5% or maybe even higher of all deaths in this country that are, that are physical deaths of children. But it remains one of the most devastating for the surviving parents. So you wonder, how does a parent, how does a family ever recover from that physical loss? And I have in studio two moms who I call the angel children. And and one of the, the guests here describes themselves as, you know, not bereaved parents. That's one of the old terms. But they describe them as the shining light parents, that these, these children are, are shining light. There are different words we use. I mean, I used to think in the English vocabulary, we have widows and widowers, but we, there is no word to describe a parent who's lost their child because you can't imagine that. But there are names, and I like the, I like the name, The Shining Light. So I'm going to start, and I know she's excited. Erica's here. Erica Clifford is, is a wife and a mother to three girls. In 2019, Erica became a mother to an angel when her beloved middle child, Savannah, passed unexpectedly days before her second birthday. The family and, and Erica got together and they created in 2020 the Savannah Piper Clifford Foundation. And the website is on the Voice America website. And we encourage listeners to log on and, and read about this amazing child and her family and their efforts to support research in the Sudden Unexplained Death in Childhood, SUDC program. It is uh, an incredible journey that Erica has made, and I've met her through family friends. And when I met her, I met her at a a fundraiser in Phoenix, and I was so touched by her beauty and her kindness and, and her loving and her memory of her child who still lives on. And 
I know this is tough for her to be in studio and took great courage. It takes great courage to do this. And I also know that your little one's anniversary in heaven is coming up. But I want to thank you, Erica, for being here. I know I always said bring Kleenex. We have Kleenex in our studio. Invariably, somebody cries. And that's okay because people cry in our audience when they hear this. But you describe, you describe your little one as the light that Savannah left behind in all of us is what we use to get to the next day. And I think that's what we see in a lot of parents who are left behind here, that the light that their children have left them to go on and to carry on in this life. Do you, do you mind sharing with us about little Savannah, about her life and how she passed and how long it's been? Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Connie. Um, so Savannah was born in June, uh, June 20th, 2017. And she was this big butterball of a baby, so squishy and sweet, um, my second girl. Um, we kept her gender a surprise until she was born. And um, I have an older daughter as well. And um, Savannah uh, was a healthy child. Um, she had a few um, things that happened in life um, about 18 months old is when things started changing um, for us. At 18 months, she had a, a seizure. Um, and what had happened was, and I think this is important to the story because it kind of builds up to um, the day that she passed and, and what led us to SUDC. Um, in December of 2018, um, she had a 50-minute long seizure um, that was uncontrolled. It was all, all on her right side. Um, and um, we took her to the hospital. The doctors told us it was, you know, a cerebral seizure. Um, you know, just keep an eye on her. Nothing much we could do. We did EEGs. Everything came back normal. Um, and then a um, few months after that, you know, I was, of course, paranoid because I was always anticipating her having a seizure again. Um, so that led to a lot of anxiety and me just being an extra helicopter parent yeah. uh, around her. Yeah. And um, in April, um, we were packing actually to come down here to Phoenix for Easter. And I had both the girls in the bathtub and I was packing up my suitcase and I was literally like right next to them. And my older daughter, Amelia, was like, Mom, something's wrong with Savannah. And I, she had fallen over in the bathtub. And I reached her. I reached her up, and it it wasn't good. Mm -hmm. She was completely um, unresponsive and like frozen. Mm -hmm. And um, I rushed her out. Um, luckily, there's a nurse that lived across the street from us at the time, doing CPR. I did CPR on her. You know, and you're, when you're waiting for an ambulance to come, it's forever. Like, yeah, seems like forever. hours. Yeah. And um, we were able to revive her right before the ambulance showed up. Took her to the hospital, um, and again, it was just, you know, they were concerned, but not concerned enough. They're like, yeah, she had another seizure, most likely, but this one looks so different. The first one that she had, she was doing a lot of... Jerking? Yeah, jerking, yeah. and the second one was just completely frozen. Flaccid. Was she stiff or just yeah, flaccid? Yeah, very stiff. Wow. Very stiff. And she almost was already blue in color. <gasps> she stopped breathing. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, she had no water in her lungs. We did a CT scan. Everything was okay. We came to Phoenix Children. I had her evaluated here. Mm -hmm. um, 
with a um neurology neurology but um specialized in epilepsy oh yeah we were just seizure disorder yeah. expert sure they're excellent here yeah and um you know couldn't really give us an answer either and little did i know that would be our last um couple weeks together and she wasn't sick there wasn't anything going on the, on the day of june 9th we actually had like the best day. Mm -hmm. My husband travels a lot for work and he came home and I had gotten this big giant slide and put it in our backyard and it was a bright sunny day in Washington, which is, you know, you don't, you only get so many it's of rare. those. And we were all outside and just having the best day. And, um, she, the only thing she didn't want to eat a lot that day, but that was the only thing that was kind of concerning to me. And before I put her to bed, we were all outside playing with the neighbors. She was running around in her power wheels, which was like one of her favorite things to do. And um, it was like 10 o'clock at night. And we're like, listen, we got to get to bed because the sun stays up until, you know, late in the evening there. Um, so I took her up to bed and... Um, I, I remember checking her because I was always afraid that if, like she had a fever and, you know, she didn't want to eat. And so I just gave her, her her bottle and we went upstairs and um, we sat in her little rocking chair and I'd read her, her her books, her favorite books that she liked. And I was just so glad that this night that I took the time to like, you know, sometimes bedtime can be like, get in the bed. Yeah. Hurry you know, up and like, rush. That's, yeah. yeah. And um, it was, um, I just laid there with her and... Um, let her drink her bottle. And I, I always sang baby mine, her from Dumbo. <laughs> and, um, I told her she was a good girl. And I said that to her every night, you're a good girl. And I love you so much. I love yeah. you for always and forever. Yeah. And I'm not just saying that for the story. Like that's, that's what we did every story. single night. And, um, that was the last time I ever got to hold her. And, um, I put her to bed. Yeah. And, we all then, you know, carried on with our routine that night, and we eventually all went to bed, and there was no noise, nothing. Yeah. And um, in the morning, I woke up, and I woke up feeling, like, so rested, mm -hmm. like, unusually. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I slept so good last so night. So deep. And usually, Savannah would wake me up, like, around 5 a.m., and she'd cry and then just want, us to, want her to come in the bed with us. And then that morning, she didn't. And we were tiptoeing around. I went and got my, my older daughter, and we were. I'm like, be quiet, Savannah's sleeping. Like, let her sleep. Mm. And um, we were in her room trying on shoes because mm -hmm. she, and one of the pairs were too small for her. And I'm like, we're going to save these for Savannah. I'm like, let's go wake her up. And so my daughter and I, who at this time was age five, and um, we went into her room and was dark and I could see her laying you know with her back towards the door and I'm like Savannah we were both whispering like Savannah wake up and um in that moment I then it's like this is strange that she's still sleeping and I touched her and in that moment when I touched her immediately is when everything changed because yeah. I could tell this isn't okay yeah and I got up screaming you know, for my husband, something's wrong. And I thought she was having another seizure because it was kind of how she felt mm -hmm. in the bathtub, like stiff. Mm -hmm. And, um, but this was a little different. And my husband grabbed her and he screamed, she's dead. And I said, no, 
No, she absolutely is not. Mm-hmm. I go, we need to start CPR. I was just like, mm-hmm. I, we need to fix it. Like, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is not going to be okay. I got on the phone. I don't know how I did this. Like, I got on the phone, running down the stairs, mm-hmm. opened the front door. Like, I got it all ready because I didn't want them. I didn't want the ambulance to come and couldn't get through the front door because door's knew. locked. You planned. Yeah. You but planned I don't it. know how, like, how quickly in those seconds, you know, you do these things. You knew. And I remember my poor daughter was standing there oh, watching us. By Amelia. Yeah. And she was... Wow. Just observing. Wow. And um, it seemed like, again, that the ambulance took for hours to come. And when they came, they walked so slow. Yeah. I remember screaming, hurry, hurry. Yeah. And um, they came in, and I, they at first weren't going to even attempt to put the, the paddles on her. And I said, please, like, you need to try. Mm-hmm. And we, of course, were doing CPR and... Um, they tried, but there wasn't flat, any. Mm-hmm. flat line. Yeah, um, and I just laid there with her, and yeah. I still like think back to that day, and I'm like, how did I let them take her? Like from your arms? Yeah, like from our house, and I, yeah, I felt like in my mind, looking back at it now, like I was just in such shock that I felt like they were going to take her and fix her and then bring her back home. Mm. You know, I'm like, okay, just it's okay, like just. Like, they're going to come back, and, and then we'll all just go back to a normal life. And mm-hmm. um, that was the day that our lives all changed. Yeah, that was the, you know what, when I hear that, it, oh, gosh, that thank you for sharing that is so beautiful in the sense that you had the most amazing day before she departed. Right. And yeah. that she transitioned without you looking at it, because I really, I believe it's all about soul and soul contracts and, uh, and yeah. and that she was kind not to let you witness that. I wish she would have though. Yeah. You know, like yeah. like no mom. Like was she Once in pain? To, was she, yeah. she she was all alone. Yeah. You know, and I wasn't there to like yeah. help her. And so there's a lot of that too, you know, like I'm glad she didn't suffer that I know of, okay. but I also wish I could have you know, helped her or at least been there with her what struck me about your story when mitchell said she's dead and you said no she's not she's still alive and a lot of us do believe they're still alive they're just a different form they transition from this body that's heavy and dense into into something light and vibrates at a higher frequency and and you know soul spirit never is destroyed it's neither created nor destroyed it just changes form and and your little one is there. And, you know, your story, it, it's almost every parent's nightmare. Yeah. And you got to say, there's nothing you could have done. There's nothing. You, you did everything. I mean, you did everything. And there's nothing. And when they pa- people pass, they pass on their terms that they leave. And they leave without you having to see it. Because perhaps I didn't want mommy and daddy to see me pass like that. Because they don't, I don't want the memory of my passing haunt them. I want them to remember me as that chubby little, joyful little ball of wonder that I am. I want mommy and daddy to always remember me like that. Remember me like that. Um, You know, how do you, how did you go on after that? You know, I felt like um, with her category of death being SUDC, to me, it's, and it's still hard because I don't know exactly what happened. They don't, you know, we did a, a thorough autopsy, um, had genetic testing. We had 
parts of her, you know, researched. Um, and it feels like, to me, the best way I can describe it is that someone came into her house and murdered her. And then I can't, we can't find them. Mm-hmm. And there is no clues. And no one's really out looking for her, yeah. you know, looking for the murderer. Yeah. That's how it feels. What like. was it that took her? Yeah. We don't, yeah, we don't know. So <sighs> Your researchers, your docs, nobody has a, nothing, her autopsy was no, normal. There is a, like a, um, a strong connection, I think, with cerebral seizures and mm-hmm. the sudden death. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But she didn't have a fever. She wasn't sick. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, survive, for me, I don't feel like... I've, I'm on the other side of something, you know, like I'm still going through it. Um, I, of course, my daughter, Amelia, she is my reason for sure. Yes. Um, and you know, part of me did die on that day Yeah. and I feel like there's a before me and an after me and, um, yeah, Amelia for sure. Um, and and my parents, you know, I thought, you know, if, if I wasn't here and if I did something, you know, I would be putting my parents in that exact same position that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And also, I carry, you know, I feel like I'm Savannah's historian. I'm her storyteller. Mm-hmm. And if something happens to me, that also then takes away from her, you know, because then I am no longer here to tell her story or to be her light. And um, it takes away from her as well. Her message of light carries on to every person you share her story. And everybody who listens to this and talks about this show and your message, you're her voice that carries on in this life. We've got a few minutes before our break, but I want to introduce somebody here who's in studio with you. And there's probably a reason why she's in studio, because she also has lost. Not We never say lost. They keep correcting me. Has transitioned two children. Um, it's her name is Elizabeth Wasson, and she's the president and co-founder of Helping Parents Heal. Elizabeth and her husband have four beautiful children, two of whom are in spirit: Chelsea, who passed when she was two years old, and Morgan, who transitioned at the base camp of Mount Everest in Tibet when he was a university exchange program student, almost age twenty-one. And Elizabeth and her husband have two beautiful daughters. Is it Alix? Alix. Alix. <laughs> Uh, born in 1992, just got married, congratulations, and Christine, born in 1995. And I I think of what you've gone through. Um, I'm going to invite listeners to read onto the website about about Elizabeth, who, after losing her uh, of transition of her son, Morgan, she started a Facebook support group. And in March of 2012, with Mark Ireland, she created the nonprofit support group Helping Parents Heal, which currently has over 160 affiliate groups and almost 25,000 members throughout the United States, Canada, Mexico, Brazil, the United Kingdom, South Africa, India, Australia, New Zealand. So, so many chapters there to reach out to parents whose children have transitioned. Elizabeth is a world traveler. She's very international. She she has been uh, several years in New Delhi, India, in the middle school, in high school, in college. She spent some time helping Mother Teresa in the orphanage. Uh, she spent 15 years in France. She speaks fluent French. Her husband is French. She did both her undergraduate and graduate studies and taught at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And I can't even pronounce it, Université Paul-Valet. 
Bon Verdi, yes, it's in not Montpellier, very easy. France. You see, I just got back from Paris, so yeah, I should have had you there with me, the most <laughs> beautiful French. Uh, Elizabeth is an amazing tour de force. She is beautiful, light, kind. She looks like a model, guys. She's gorgeous. <laughs> and she's a certified yoga instructor. She teaches yoga for healing grief. But she also is a parent, a shining light parent, whose two children have have gone to the other side, the light side, the side of light. And And I want you to share, we've got about six minutes before we go to a break. Elizabeth, share with us what happened on October 20, 2009 with, with Morgan. I would love to, and I just want to say that I am so grateful to be here with Erica and with you, Dr. Connie. This is, I am so impressed with you, Erica, at the, to, to see that you're here and that you're able to talk about this because it's not easy. And one thing that I really wanted to say before I started is that your daughter was not alone. We are never alone when we transition. There are so many uh, relatives on the other side, but also um, angels and spirit guides who take care of our kids, and they're never in pain, ever, ever, ever. So um, anyway, I, I'd like to be able to talk a little bit about Morgan. Um, he was on a university exchange program in uh, Nanjing, China, and it was his second time he had gone over there um, first when he was a sophomore at the University of Arizona. And then he went again um, when he was a senior. And when we were packing for him to go over to China, um, we were in his room and he said, Mom, I don't think I'm coming back from China this time. And I said, Morgan, that's really a little disconcerting. So... You have all the credits you need from your study abroad. Um, why don't you stay here and do sports and just um, have a good time your senior year? And he said, no, Mom, I'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And so he left. And um, he and 13 other students from the program were going to Tibet for their fall break. Uh, because they'd been studying the geopolitical systems, the, um, the all different things about the economy of the of the country, which is actually part of China, and so um, we thought that that would be a great idea. Even though I was worried about altitude sickness, because there were two professors going from the program as well, um, they landed in Lhasa at eleven thousand feet and directly went up the mountain the next morning to 19,000 feet, which is something that you should never do um, if you um, have not, you're not used to altitude, obviously. And on the way up, all of these kids were throwing up on the bus. They were actually urinating on themselves because that's another mm -hmm. sign of altitude sickness. Um, Morgan was taking care of everyone because he spoke Chinese better than everyone else since he had been there already. And he was also, and is also six foot six and um, kind of, they called him Big Bear. He took care of everybody. Um, so he was trying to help the other kids. The uh, tour guide was just wanting them to get up to the base camp as quickly as possible so that it wouldn't... Um, the um, night wouldn't fall before they got up there. 
So when they did get there, everyone had migraines. Um, Morgan particularly was hit by this um, altitude sickness. And he took, I believe it was, a NyQuil and went to bed because he didn't have anything else available. Um, during the night, he was uh, walking around the yurt. There was a big yurt, which is a big open tent where all of the kids were staying. And he called everybody the wrong name. And so people just thought that it was um, because he was walking in his sleep. But that's also a sign of altitude sickness. And at 9 in the morning, when everybody was going back down the mountain, unfortunately, um, they couldn't wake Morgan up. And he was foaming at the mouth. And so um, at that point, one of the kids called his mother, who's a doctor in, in Washington State, and she said, get him down the mountain as quickly as you can. And so these kids, Morgan um, was 280 pounds, six foot six, all 13 of them loaded him on the bus, and then they started down the mountain. But um, about this time, I got a call from the director of the program, and the director of the program said, uh, Ms. Boisson, there's been a problem. We have to tell you that, um, unfortunately, um, Morgan is on his way down the mountain. We're a little bit worried about um, his health situation. And so um, at that point, I was able to call one of the other kids that's on the program. And um, he had a cell phone with him, and that was very, very helpful. Yeah. We're going to go on. Let's keep going. I want to, I want to share it, and then we'll, we'll pause for a break. But keep going, Elizabeth. Okay. So um, uh, at that point, I, I was able to call Colin, which is one of his roommates. And Colin very kindly told me, Miss Boisson, it doesn't look good. He is no longer breathing. We're doing CPR, but they don't know anything about CPR. And um, and I don't think he's going to make it. So I told Colin to put the phone up to Morgan's ear. And I told Morgan that I loved him, that we were proud of him, and not to be afraid. And right then... I felt him give me this enormous hug. It was just one of the most incredible things. And at that moment, I knew that love lives forever. I knew that our children in spirit are not gone. And I wanted to find other parents who were experiencing the same kind of things with their children. Oh, my gosh. We're going to take a break to, for me to wipe off my tears, and we will be back with Erica Clifford and Elizabeth Wasson on The Widow's Walk to share more about the shining light of our children who never die. They are alive. So stay tuned for Widow's Walk in a few minutes after this break. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Dr. Connie Mariano is a groundbreaker. She was the White House physician to three presidents, toured the world on Air Force One, and has had countless amazing experiences. The one thing that life didn't prepare her for was becoming a widow. After losing her beloved husband, John, in a tragic accident, Dr. Connie joined the one million women who were widowed in the United States each year. While her journey as a widow has been one of intense grief and sorrow, 
it has also been one of extraordinary growth and rebirth. Now, Dr. Connie is sharing what she's learned, joined by her knowledgeable guests to help anyone struggling with this deeply personal and often lonely journey of their own. Tune into The Widow's Walk, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Welcome back to The Widow's Walk. Remember to check out the show page on the Voice America website for more episodes. Now, back to Dr. Connie. Welcome back to Widow's Walk. It's Dr. Connie talking about the journey of our lives after our loved one's transition. And today we have two amazing moms whose children have transitioned to the other side. We have Erica Clifford, whose little Savannah has transitioned over to heaven. Uh, she was a little bit over two. And we have Elizabeth Boisson, who is the founder and president of the Helping Parents Heal organization, whose two children have also transitioned. I, I love the terms because nobody's dead. I mean, I'm, I'm a doctor, you know, pronounce people dead. Well, physically in this life, I signed a death certificate, but they're, they've transitioned over to the best part. That's the big party on the other side. You know, I, I, I almost look at all the people I've known who've passed and I go, there must be one heck of a big party on the other side. We're the ones misery. We're, we're the ones in misery. They're having a great time up there. But, you know, after our, our loved ones have transitioned, you know, how do you, Erica, I look at you, and you're you're young and beautiful, and your beautiful family, and your little one has you know, and your your work and philanthropy and finding answers. Why? What happened? You know, and and you know, there may be a point you don't know. You don't know, uh, and the research will help other find diseases and other conditions to help parents whose children are str- slug, struggling this life. What moves you on? You you have Amelia. You also have June, your little one. Yeah. Um, what has helped me, I feel, um, and I think some things are just left raw and painful also. Um, and at least for me, um, but some things that have helped me is journaling. Um, I never did that before. Um, so just writing things down, I'll even be driving in the car and use my phone and the notepad and just some feelings or thoughts that I'm having, I'll, I'll jot those down just to give them a place, um, even if no one ever reads them. Um, we went to therapy, of course, um, which in the beginning, it was I was just in such shock that it didn't really even help me at all. But finding the right therapist, um, that helped us as well, a grief therapist. Um, finding the SUDC Foundation was instrumental for us because it was other parents who actually have gone through exactly what we've gone through. I remember we went to a retreat once and I was listening to, you know, introduce, you know, being introduced to people and they tell their story about their child and 
I was like, that's my story. And it was, we had the exact same story. Um, so finding them, them helping us um, with everything with Savannah, you know, reading autopsy report, just all those other things that I didn't know how to do um, for them to come in and helped us, and helped us tremendously was the foundation. Um, and I think the most thing that helped me was finding gratitude. Um, and I know that sounds weird. I am not grateful for my daughter's death at all. Um, but I am so grateful for her life um, and for her birth. And I think once once I, you know, kind of started thinking about that more and when I am going down a negative path and I'm like, but I am so, I would do all of this again a million times over to have you again and, and to be able to be your mom, that I am your mom. Um, and just being grateful for her being mine and loving her has helped. That's, that is so amazing. And those are words of wisdom, really, from that. And you had a little girl afterwards, right? Yeah. Tell us um, about June. Yeah, so we had June. Um, she was born in December, not to be confused with her name. Um, and her name is June because of Savannah, because she is because of Savannah. Um, and we had her um, in December of 2020. And um, it's kind of hard to think about because it, it was very scary having another child. I, in my head, I, I definitely was not ready. Kind of her whole pregnancy with her, I, we also left her at a surprise. I didn't know if it was going to be a girl or a boy. Um, but I kind of had to pretend that I wasn't pregnant because it mm. was just too much for me to handle. Um, and we were thinking about having a third child before Savannah passed. And then obviously when that happened, that was the last thing I could possibly think about. And even when, but then there was Amelia and, you know, I was okay with two kids if, if we never had a third. Um, but just seeing Amelia, um, she was absolutely devastated that she lost, you know, her sister and telling her that her sister is no longer here was I don't wish that on anybody. And we um, intentionally had June. And um, which is, it's scary too, because I think I worry for Amelia and June, like what if something happens to them? And, you know, just every parent's um, worst nightmare. But um, June, she's, she's helped us. I mean, she, it's kind of like how, when I had Amelia, when you are a mom of just one and you get pregnant with your second. And for me, at least I thought, how am I ever going to love the second kid as much as my first? There's right. no way I can right. love the second child as much as Amelia. And I didn't understand how my mom loved me or my <laughs> brother. I'm like, how did you love more? And that's kind of like how it was, how it is with June. Like just because I had June, it doesn't replace Savannah. Exactly. It, your one love doesn't need to shrink to make love for the other. You know, mm -hmm. it just, it grows. You get an additional heart. And my, my late husband sent me a message through a medium that said, your heart is big enough to love another. Mm -hmm. And I think with your children, you never run out of love. You have more children. You, it's there. Yeah. It's big. Your heart is big to love another child. Mm -hmm. And it is. Yeah. And so, and she, she gives us so much joy. And uh, I'm, I'm, we kind of did it quickly. Um, 
and that's not something I necessarily wanted to do. But I'm like, by the time that I'm going to be ready to have another kid, I'm going to be 70. Yeah. And it's time. And, and it's not going to work out. They sent you a little one. Yeah. yeah. Another little one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm just grateful that um, we're able to have another little girl. And she looks exactly like Savannah, which makes that difficult as oh. well. Same personality. It's, it's bizarre. <laughs> Yeah. It's almost like her twin. Yeah, it here. is. I'm, I'm here now. Yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> it's amazing. Elizabeth, I look at you too. I mean, you've, you have two other daughters. Yes. And then, you know, Chelsea, your daughter Chelsea was two days old when she transitioned. She was two days old. But for me, um, what was a little different was that um, I had been pregnant uh, and in the hospital for um, two two months in the hospital. And she was born at almost seven months. Um, I had been on an IV the whole time because I had placenta previa. And um, it was, of course, very, very difficult to have her pass. But at the same time, I hadn't been able to see Morgan almost at all because he was living with my mother-in-law. My husband was working really hard in the south. He had a new business that he had just started. And so I missed Morgan so much. Yeah. And being able to get home to Morgan was something that really healed me. And um, I immediately started thinking about having more children at the time because that was what we wanted. And so we did have two other beautiful children that were born after. Both of the pregnancies were difficult, though, but um, the girls were fine. And so um, I think that that was what healed me initially. But I also think that when Chelsea transitioned, I started feeling like I had one foot here and one foot on the other side. And I think that that was something that really helped me when Morgan transitioned, because I already was ready to um, be open to the signs, and um, and I also had been practicing yoga. I'd been practicing. I've been a vegetarian most of my life. Um, I think that there are a lot of things that kind of help to be able to um, get that connection with our kids um, pretty quickly when they transition. And again, I think it was Chelsea who grabbed his hand and brought Morgan to me. Across the way. When when Morgan transitioned, what about your other two daughters? How how did that impact them? How did you tell them? That's a very good question. It was a very hard time because um, it was right near um, Halloween. One of my daughters was leaving with her boyfriend and another uh girlfriend and boyfriend to go see Fright Farm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they were already on the way. My youngest daughter was with us and heard everything. So she called, and she was only 13 at the time. The other uh, daughter was uh, 15. She called my eldest daughter and said, you got to get home. Morgan just died, which was so devastating to... um, to my eldest daughter. And unfortunately, I think that in those situations, you don't necessarily plan these things at all. Um, But when they came back, I was already extremely calm because of that 
shared death experience that I'd had with Morgan. In fact, uh, Cyril was sitting next to me in the office and he said, can I speak to Morgan? Because I was being so calm. I was so, oh my gosh, having that hug. And I said, Cyril, I'm sorry. I think he's already gone. And of course, he was just completely devastated. I don't know where my strength came from at the time, except that I do know that people who um, experience these shared death experiences and near-death experiences, you're filled with joy. It's just incredible. At the same time that Morgan was on his back on a mountain in in Tibet, across the world, I knew he was still here. So um, both of my daughters... um, ended up, um, I, I mean, they're much older now. This happened when they were 13 and 15. Alix uh, just got married at 30, and uh, Christine is um, is now 28. They ended up studying undergrad, then going over to France and to London, to the London School of Economics, as well as to UCL, and uh, for a master's. And then my eldest daughter just earned a PhD in public health. Um, And this is from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And the reason that she's doing this is because she wants to help as many people as possible. My younger daughter feels the same way as well. I believe that these siblings who have experienced a great loss experience the passing of a sibling become some of the most incredible Mm -hmm. um, uh, healers Mm -hmm. as they move forward. And both of them are yoga teacher trainers. uh, I mean, yoga teachers as well, not just, you know, not just these other degrees that they have because they feel that yoga has been such an integral part of their lives to be able to help them. So... I, I see this in so many siblings, that they become um, those kids who are going to save the world later on. They're very special. I, when I met your your daughter, Amelia, she seems more mature for an eight-year-old. Yeah, she is. is. she like the big sister for June? Is, what, what do you What have you seen with her yeah. losing her? After her sister passed, I was—I mean, I was obviously so worried about it because she was there with me um, and witnessed a lot. Um, we did play therapy, and um, I mean, we just have left it open in our house. You know, it's not a—you know—I feel like a lot of people growing up who have lost siblings, you know, their parents, their stories are—you know—my parents didn't talk about it, and we weren't allowed to talk about it. And with Amelia, we have Savannah's pictures up. We, we watch her videos. We talk about our memories. Um, she's still very alive in our world. And um, I kind of leave it up to Amelia. Like, we'll go to the cemetery. It's up to her if she wants to come out and visit or anything like that. Um, and I let her see my pain, too. <laughs> and letting her see me cry and fall apart and knowing that but we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like, this is okay and this is a normal emotion, not normal circumstance, but, you know, a normal, and we can do this in a healthy way, as healthy as we can. Um, but yeah, she, and, but you know, it's, it's a wound and 
I don't feel like it ever, at least where we're at right now, it doesn't feel like it, it's air quote healing. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, just, you know, everything can be okay. And then it can just open up at any given time. And just like, um, June the other day, Savannah used to do this thing where she would take, she loved binkies or pacifiers <laughs> and she would take as many as she could and shove them in her mouth at one time. And we all thought it was funny. And then June did it the other uh-huh, day. And uh-huh. I, I guess I had forgotten about it. And Amelia goes, look at June. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, June, you're so silly. You have all those binkies in your mouth. And Amelia just starts crying. Oh, her little her and sister. I, yeah. And I go, well, what's wrong? And she goes, Savannah used to do that. And I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, so it's, she's just like, you know, they, they grieve just like us and it's, um, so just being there, I guess for her and, you know, I'm, I hope I'm doing it right. Um, it's what we do when we love somebody so very much and they're not in this life with us. We miss the physicality and, mm -hmm. and we mourn them. And, you know, one of the reasons I want, I love having Elizabeth here, you know, she's, you've you've moved on but you never you never let go because they're always with you how do you heal how do you heal from all this well I think that one of the things that helped me the most was to be able to find other parents who are experiencing the same thing and in the very beginning there weren't very many um, groups that allowed um, us to talk about the different signs and validations that we were getting from our kids so I would go to these groups and I'd say Oh, I got the most amazing sign from Morgan today. And the leader of the group would say, we don't talk about that in this group. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, but thank you for, for Sharing, saying that. Yeah. Thank you for. S- and then I'd be approached by other parents in the parking lot saying, I've been having that kind of thing mm-hmm. happen. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I always thought that it was um it was something, obviously, I, I truly believe that every single parent gets these amazing signs and validations from their kids. Well, she got the bink. I mean, I, <laughs> yes. I see that in my woo-woo eyes as your, your Savannah and the little I love. I call them kisses from heaven. Yes. That she sent you a little kiss from heaven. It's like, oh, when you least expect it, you, you go, oh, my, in your, and, and Amelia saw that. Right. And you had forgot. I mean, you've said, oh, mm-hmm. my gosh, there she is. She's, you know, her. Her, her other her sister is you know channeling and sending her a little message. Children are innocent; they're closest to the source. Little ones are close to the source. I always they believe. are, and as they get older, it's harder and harder for them to be able to connect with that side that's intuitive and that they understand um, and that they can talk with their siblings. In fact, it's very interesting because we have quite a few families who have. Um, uh, children who um, are autistic, for instance, in families who have had brothers or sisters who have passed or even a father who has passed. And um, these children have an ability to connect with their father on the other side, their siblings on the other side. In fact, we have a, a leader in Tucson now who has twins and when they were two and a half years old, one of them passed um, by drowning. And I asked her about how her other son is doing. And she told me 
that she's not even sure that he's gone because she passes their bedroom and she'll hear him talking to mm-hmm. his brother mm-hmm. in, in the bedroom, which is just so wonderful. So um, I, I think that that is definitely something that's easier when you're younger and you do have these um, experiences a lot more easily. But then again, it happens when you have a child transition because that's where you start looking for answers and trying to find, um, trying to refine your child in the spirit world. Oh, I like that. Refine, refine your child. You know, I've got a few minutes left and I, there's so much we could do multiple podcasts and on and on. Erica, you, you know, you're, you still feel the pain. Obviously you will always have that special place in your heart for your little one. What would you tell parents out there who are really grieving now, who've lost, whose child have, has transitioned? What, what, what advice would you give them? Uh, I, you know, I don't feel like I'm in a place like to give advice just because I don't feel like I'm over this. And I don't know if you ever get there, at least, you know, in my, for me, um, cause I just feel like grief, there isn't a guidebook and it's not like this step-by-step process. For me, I kind of like feel grief. I use this simile as like, there's this river flowing and in the middle of this river, there's these flat and jagged rocks. And each day you kind of somehow manage to get over them or you stand on them. Sometimes you dip your toes in the, in the in this raging river is like the grief. And sometimes you jump all in and you know, have those days and other days you just sit on a rock and I feel like you just kind of jump around on it. At least that's how I kind of feel it is for me. Um, but I think, you know, just feeling the pain, not letting the guilt also starve you from any joy also, um, um, being able to say yes to things, even if they're scary, and knowing when to say no to things that don't serve you at that time. I've gotten great at turning down a lot of things that I just don't have the capacity for anymore because I need to take care of myself. Um, yeah, I just, you know, even after I've been four years without her, and just I still have those days, like coming up on her anniversary in two days, her birthday in 12 days, um, these are the days when I still take it. Sometimes it's hour by hour. Yeah. Sometimes it's day by day. Sometimes it's week by week. And sometimes it's month by month. It just depends, you know, and just being patient and, you know, having grace for yourself. Your, your metaphor of the river with the, you know, with the rocks and the currents, what I see in the beauty there is the energy that flows the water. That's the flow. You're going with the flow. And we all grieve. There's no time set. Everybody grieves in their own personal way. It's like the widow's walk. Nobody can do that walk for you. You can't hire, delegate people. You have to do it until it is time. But what keeps you going is that flow. That's what you're following. There's no accident you're sitting here. Because <laughs> at first you're like, why me? And I said, well, first of all, you write beautifully. And you really should continue writing. Is there you have such a beautiful way to, of words and communication. You just, you flow. But it's that flow that moves us through this, that pushes us when we don't want to be pushed. And you have so many reasons to continue this beautiful life in your, with your husband and your two beautiful daughters and your, and your little angel. 
from the who's there. She's I you you know it'll come the point and it when it's time you will we all get to that point that perhaps maybe for me as a widow I just got sick and tired of crying every day mm-hmm. and it was time to just live and embrace and have those memories that you love of your loved one and your loved one never leaves and I look at you know Elizabeth you know and she's ahead of the game with more than a lot of us any final final words of wisdom to the the listeners there? I think that one of the things that you're doing so right is that you're keeping Savannah's memory alive and being able to talk about her with your other beautiful daughters and being able to um, to keep doing these things as you move forward is really important because um, it is true that some families put away the pictures, they um, decide that they don't want to have their child mentioned in the house. But I can tell you that Savannah loves it every single time <laughs> that you mention her or that you, and that she's with you. And that's another thing. Um, our loved ones love to see us happy as well. And that's not easy in the very beginning, but we have meetings of helping parents heal and we're talking about our kids and, some of the people who are intuitive and psychic will see the kids kind of with us. And they tell us that every time that they see one of the parents smile, uh, the kids high five each other, <laughs> which I think is so cool. So I think that you are going to be fine. You are going to move forward and be better than fine. Your girls are going to be amazing. Yeah. I mean, just, just sense. having yeah. this experience... Living in a, in a period of darkness brings so much light. And I think that um, for me, being able to see the collateral beauty that's happened through all of this is something that's really amazing. All of the friends that we've made through this journey, as well as just being able to every single day go outside and tell myself, well, what's Morgan going to be sending me today, especially when I'm hiking? And it always happens that he sends something incredible. So um, your relationship with Savannah will never, ever end. And I think that's something that all of of the parents who are listening, but also um, spouses as well, our loved ones in spirit will never leave us. And um, when you see Savannah as well, it will be as though not one second has passed. And I think that that's also something that's really important for everyone to understand. You're not missing anything. She's not missing anything. She can give you hugs right now. It's hard for you because you don't have her physically here. Mm-hmm. But um, that's going to change once you... Um, I I think that for me, one of the things that saved me when Morgan transitioned was that I could constantly feel him hugging me and kept me from actually even wanting to cry, which was great. Well, I'm about to cry because this show has been so beautiful and healing. I want to thank you, Elizabeth, but I also want to thank you, Erica, for coming on the show, coming all the way from Spokane and, and journeying out here so we can hear about your amazing little spirit daughters, this beautiful Savannah who who lives on. And actually, I, I, I sense she's here 
Chelsea's here, Morgan's here, John's here. We have a whole bunch of people here in studio <laughs> with us. So thank you so much. And I'm going to sign off for Widow's Walk and stay tuned for more next month. So take care and God bless you all. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Widow's Walk with Dr. Connie Mariano. We hope you've gained some peace and maybe even a glimmer of hope as you continue to move forward in your life. Until we talk again, have a beautiful day.